This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and this 113th episode is presented by New York's Empire Hotel. My guest today is a young woman who, in the view of the New York Times, quote, may well be the definitive screen actress of her generation, close quote, and who also is a highly regarded writer and director, Greta Gerwig. The 33-year-old first burst onto the scene in a series of films shot during the second half of 2006 and the first half of 2007, and released in 2007 and 2008. Films including Joe Swanberg's Hannah Takes the Stairs, the Duplass Brothers' Baghead, and a film she co-directed with Swanberg, Nights and Weekends, which collectively made her the face of a new cinematic movement that came to be known as Mumblecore. She subsequently starred in a string of indies that received varying degrees of acclaim, among them Noah Baumbach's Greenberg in 2010, Francis Ha in 2013, and Mistress America in 2015, the latter two of which she co-wrote with him, as well as Whit Stillman's Damsels in Distress in 2011, Woody Allen's To Rome with Love in 2012, Barry Levinson's The Humbling in 2014, and no fewer than three 2016 films, Rebecca Miller's Maggie's Plan, a film in which she plays a woman who desperately wants to have a baby, Pablo Lorraine's Jackie, in which she plays the most trusted friend of Jacqueline Kennedy, and one for which she recently received a Best Supporting Actress Critics' Choice Award nomination, and could soon receive an Oscar nomination as well, Mike Mills's 20th Century Women, in which she plays one of several women helping to raise a young man without a father. Over the course of our conversation at the Empire Hotel in New York, Gerwig and I discuss the roots of and her complicated feelings about Mumblecore, her special professional and personal relationship with Baumbach, why she doesn't like the many quirky and eccentric characters she's played to be classified as hipsters, why not long ago she agreed to star in a How I Met Your Mother spinoff called How I Met Your Dad, which was the last thing her many admirers expected her to turn up in, and why she was so drawn to the character of Abby in, and so enjoyed making, 20th Century Women. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Greta, thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We always just begin with a stock question. Where were you born and raised and what did or do your parents do for a living? I was born in Sacramento, California, raised in Sacramento, California. My mom was and is an RN, a nurse, and my dad was a computer programmer when I was growing up and now works for credit union doing small business loans. Were movies or television or theater a big part of your life growing up? Theater was a huge part of my life growing up. Theater and dance and music were big parts of my life. Movies were not, we didn't go to the movies that often. It wasn't really until I got to college that like movies started to be a big part of my life. And we didn't have television. Was that a so, moral thing or what was the reason? You know, sort of the wa- wafting of the 60s yeah. hippie stuff <laughs> into the 80s right. and early 90s. And I had a t-shirt that said, TV is bad for your brain. <laughs> <There's lots of laughs> but it seems so quaint now to think that television's bad for you, as opposed to all these Anything other else, devices, right, right. all these screens that we have. It seems so sweet to think of a family like watching television right, together. Right. But we did have, we had a VCR then we could play movies. So I, a lot of my movie experiences are old movies. Like I, I watched a ton of, really a lot of movie mus- musicals and a lot of Woody Allen and basically what they had at the library. So not a lot of up-to-date things, but yeah, anything that the Sacramento Public Library had. Yes. In January 2011, mm. I interviewed you for the first time and you were talking about the fact that in high school you were just getting into performing arts, I think, yourself. And you were kind of joking about the fact that you were just always running between rehearsal and, and chasing gay boys and just sort of the, you know, it was an interesting time in your life. Maybe you can yeah. brief people who didn't hear that oh. first interview. Well, yeah, I got, I mean, I was, I got really, really interested in theater in high school. I mean, I was interested in theater before. I actually spent a lot of time going to Oregon Shakespeare Festival with my family yeah. and we would do, we would drive up there and then we'd see two plays a day every day for five days so you'd see like eugene o'neill in the afternoon and then you'd see shakespeare at night and it's a it's an acting company so you'd see the same actors play you know in a tennessee williams Mm -hmm. and then play phaedra or something you know it was it was a kind of in a way like completely idyllic completely incorrect view of what actors get to do (laughs) which is that they get to play a bunch of different parts and that they're in repertory all the time and that it's a constantly a new challenge. <laughs> and the truth is that only exists in the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Because in the real world, what, people get typecast? Or you get whatever. typecast. Yeah. It's you probably, if you're, you know, 32, you'll be playing 32. Right. You don't get to try your hand at a bunch of different things. Right. But that was what I sort of where my love for, for theater came from was the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And then in high school, I got really invested in it. And Yeah, lots of musicals, lots of romances, lots of high emotions, (laughs) lots of drama. (laughs) (laughs) And so, well, I guess just jumping back for a second, why did you guys start going to 
the Oregon Festival in the first place? Was that your mm. parents sort of seeing that you might like this or you just happening to or you wanting to be there? Interestingly, even though neither one of my parents is a writer or an actor in that way, like they, they both were really interested in theater. Like my dad, my whole life was always interested in Sondheim and we had all the Sondheim records and he liked, you know, Monty Python and Steve Martin and, and Woody Allen mm-hmm. and we all like the kind of typically great but semi-nerdy stuff that was possible <laughs> and and they were both sort of theater junkies in a way and so they were interested and then I v- it was very clear that I was interested quickly so then they they kept they kept going but it, I think it's nice I always think like when you make films or you make theater you, you sometimes you're like thinking to yourself like who am I making this for <laughs> am I just making it for my peers mm-hmm. or and I was like, I'm making it for my parents. My parents are the people who were like, let's go see a play. Mm-hmm. Let's go see this dance. Let's go see the symphony. And it wasn't because they had ambitions towards it or because they were critics. It was because they were enthusiasts. And so to this day, that's sort of in the back of your head when, when I'm going to, you know, who am I making this for? It's for my for parents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you get, you get into Barnard, you go off yeah. to New York. And what was it? while you were there and as you came out that you thought you would be doing in, in the real world? Well, when I when I went into Barnard College for Women in the city of New York, affiliated <laughs> with Columbia <laughs> University, that's the full <laughs> title, <laughs> I thought I was going to, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I did know at a certain point, I think I knew when I was going in, but I did know I wanted to be involved with Initially, it was theater. Somehow, just any way, any way they would let me in. And whether that was doing like lights and sound or whether it was running a box office or whether it was acting or whether it was writing, I I didn't care. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be part of it. And so that kind of made it easier in a way. And then I fell in love with film when I moved to the city. I started going to Film Forum and Anthology Film Archives and the Museum of Moving Image. And I got an education in film, which I didn't have before. Also, Kim's video, they had one up by Columbia, and they organized it by director, which is the first time I'd really thought hard about directors. Mm -hmm. I think directors are invisible to just the general movie-going public. You look at actors. You Mm -hmm. don't look at directors. And then it was like I knew directors existed. I mean, especially like a Woody Allen type. But he was a celebrity like in and of himself. But yeah, I saw, I was like, oh, you like Howard Hawks movies. <laughs> you don't like movies with Rosalind Russell in them. Right. You like Howard Hawks <laughs> movies. I mean, you like Rosalind Russell, right. but that's not right. why you like it. Or, you know, that that was, so then I got involved with film and then I was like, okay, theater or film. These are the two things I want to do. And then I was writing a lot because <sighs> writing is free and nobody has to pick you. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was going to be a playwright and I applied to playwriting schools. When you're talking about nobody having to pick you, was that an issue with Barnard theatrical productions or something that you <laughs> wanted to do more than you were being allowed to do it there? Well, I did a lot of student run productions, but there were always these departmental productions that were put on every year, which were the sort of like classy ones. <laughs> like everyone auditioned Prestige. for them. They had yes. like more money. Right. The professors directed them. Right. It was always like that was the thing that you wanted to do. And I don't think I ever even like got a call back until I would always go and try to do a very serious 
monologue that I thought was showed my range. Which was? Well, like, would be, like, from a classic. You okay. know, like, like some, like, I would be Lady Macbeth, or yes. I would do, like, Abigail from the Crucible for some un- <laughs> unnecessary reason. And then one year, I think it was senior year, I was like, fuck it. I've never done a piece of writing that I actually feel deeply connected to and so I said I don't care I'm gonna do a monologue that was written for a man and it was from Kenny Lonergan's Lobby Hero Mm -hmm. and it was written for a guy but I knew how to say it I just was like I know I just know how to say this writing and I did it and then of course I got a call back that that year (laughs) and then I got the show and I was like oh that's the the wrong lesson oh it was (laughs) It was, um, just thinking what Kenny Lonergan gets you into here. No, I mean, it was it was really <laughs> honestly it was just because it, it, it had no relationship to what we did. It was it was basically like a version of the Trojan women, okay. <laughs> which was didn't relate to Kenny Lonergan. Right. No, 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 no. That's what's funny. I just I felt think, like yeah. it was it was the one that I felt mo- when I felt most comfortable. Then people were of like, course. oh, I would cast you. Right. <laughs> but I'd been already like right. I was doing acting classes. I brought in I brought in a a. I kept bringing in scenes that I had written freshman year. To the acting classes yeah. for, for at Barnard. And then one of the professors said, I think you want to take a playwriting class. And I, <laughs> I, it hadn't even occurred to me to be a playwright. And I said, no, no, other people write plays. I'm just writing these stupid scenes. And she said, no, I think you want to write plays. So then I got into playwriting. And it was really lucky because there were all these professors from Juilliard at Barnard and Columbia while I was there. So it was acting professors and, and writing teachers, like playwriting teachers from Juilliard. And they were amazing. And they really helped me out. And it was really awesome because I did not get accepted to Juilliard. Okay, so you still got <laughs> Twice, yeah. twice, as an undergrad and then in graduate school. Really? Yeah. Wow. So how in 2006, during, I guess, spring break of senior year, mm. Did you wind up at the South by Southwest Film Festival and what happened there? Well, my boyfriend at the time, who's still a very good friend, was a major cinephile and we would go to movies all the time together. And then he was from Chicago and he started working on a movie with a Chicago filmmaker named Joe Swanberg. And it, and it was about relationships and technology. Also, it seems very quaint now. (laughs) And he asked if he could use voicemail messages. I had left left him as like found audio for the film. And I said yes. And then they they were going to premiere it at South by Southwest. And it fell on our spring break. And I went. And I went with him. And I guess I I had already seen, I was the summer before I had seen Puffy Chair by the Duplass brothers and I had seen Funny Ha Ha by Andrew Bojowski and I really really loved both of them and especially especially Andrew's movie I felt this kind of deep connection to that I couldn't totally articulate and it felt like oh that's the kind of thing I want to make for somebody who hasn't seen it can you explain just without you know I understand the connection mm. might be hard to explain but what was this movie what does this movie look like well, it was, sh- you know, Funny Haha was shot on, it was actually shot on film. It's shot on, I think it's shot on Super 16. And it's with non-actors. But I I had a feeling while I was watching it, and it this proved to be right, it's very, very written. It seems not written, but that's not true. It's super scripted. Like every, every word of it, mm-hmm. even 
um mm-hmm. like eh, like just little asides so it was all scripted and i i think i could recognize it because of my interest and investment in theater and playwriting i can just hear mm-hmm. when it's written versus improvised and it sound it, it hits my ear differently mm-hmm. when it's written it feels like it's been written like sheet music and i i thought it was perfect i thought it was a perfect movie and it ended it has this great ending it's all about this girl's kind of unrequited crush on a guy who gets married in the middle of the movie and then her co-worker at a temp job sort of in love with her but he's creepy i mean the whole thing is very low-key but it's sort of quietly devastating Mm -hmm. as it goes and anyway at the, the last scene of the movie is this guy she's been in love with the whole movie and he comes and meets her for lunch and they're sitting outside and eating lunch and watching these guys play frisbee and he makes some stupid joke and she just looks at him and then looks away and then the movie's over. <laughs> and it's because her crush is done. And you just know in that moment she's done. Mm-hmm. She doesn't love him anymore. And I was like, oh, that's such a great, that's a great ending. And it's to- so underplayed and it's so echoed like all the filmmakers I like, which is like Mike Lee and, you know, who is also super scripted, mm-hmm. which people don't think. They think it's just happening and it's not. It's but isn't very scripted. I, what I remember from Mike Lee, like there's a scenario. And they build it. They build, they build it, it from right. improvising. What they do is he has a scenario. He gives everybody characters. They do months of improv. Yeah. And then he goes away and he writes it all out. So it's word for word. Then he gives it back to the actors. They memorize it word for word okay. and then shoot it like that. So, the blurring so it of, sounds yeah. off the cuff but it's the opposite of off the cuff. Gotcha. It's almost like how Werner Herzog has like his documentary subjects. He interviews them. Then he has the literal printout of what they said. Then they memorize what they said and re-say it. <laughs> so it has this layer of oddness. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in the layer of oddness. Right. And I'm interested in scripted things. Anyway, that was the whole <laughs> point. And, that was, I, and I love that movie. I go to South by Southwest. I meet Joe Swanberg. I meet Ty West, I meet the Duplass brothers, I meet Ry Russo Young, I meet the Safdie brothers, Lena Dunham, Barry Jenkins. It was quite a group, which is like now even seems like more of a group. Aaron Katz was there. There was a bunch of them. Uh, Amy Simetz. um, You could have done a bunch of us on that one festival. yeah, Yeah, yeah. It was a really magical time. And then so... And then I made films and went to festivals where I kept seeing these people. So like, then I made Hannah Takes the Stairs in Chicago. Well, so let's but let's pause because yeah. so now you come out of that festival and you've been exposed to this new yeah kind of group of people and who are making a specific kind of film, which subsequently yeah. became referred to as mumblecore that's right right where did that term come from and what does it mean oh, as you understand it's the it? worst term you don't like i hate it? it yeah i mean i think anyone who made those movies that they then have to hear that term hates that term i'm just waiting for the day that i it never have to talk about it again <laughs> but yeah i mean it's it was just a stupid press term i don't know how, i don't know who came up with wasn't it wasn't there something with like Bugowski's it was a sound, it was a sound, sound mixer made a joke yeah and then it was because it, so it's not the sound was not it's not as opposed to hardcore it's mumblecore yeah okay but it was just a way of grouping these films which shared which all shared what in common they were cheap that's honestly the only thing I can think of that share that they all share because Andrew's films are really scripted really shot listed shot on film 
Joe's are all improvised, no interest in like written text at all, shot on the cheapest thing he could find because that was his aesthetic. I mean, I mean, everybody, oh, Ty West was a horror film, like he was interested in horror and suspense, like Barry was interested in something else entirely. His was super stylized and beautiful, Medicine for Melancholy. Amy was interested, I mean, everybody was interested in a different thing. It, they were just cheap. Made by young filmmakers. And we were all young. Yeah. I think those that I, I think that that was the thing that we were cheap and and I think the thing too was that we didn't I think often at film festivals I think people had gotten used to a version of a movie at a film festival that was like a calling card for your real movie you were gonna make <laughs> later do you know what I mean yeah, like it'd yeah. be the short that then I'm gonna get the money to make the real movie or like that that like I'm gonna make this movie and then you know whatever. Warner Brothers will hire me to make a giant movie based on the strength of this, but this <laughs> isn't the real movie. Right. And I think what was different about these movies is these filmmakers were like, there is not another movie. Right. This is the real movie. Like, we just went and made a party and threw it and made a thing and didn't ask your permission, and this is what we wanted to make. We're Which not, was possible, though, right. also because of technological advances right. at that time. And totally, and also the, the editing software was all, like, the Final Cut which was great and so just cut out the middle of it final cut and the cheap you know the nice looking digital cameras all of that really fed into it really made it democratic and i know as you're saying you don't love necessarily being associated with that term but and but the weird thing is that it was really only a six month span that you were making those sorts of movies right so ha what, what happened in that six month period well, I made Hannah Takes the Stairs in the summer of 2006 after I graduated from college. And then I met the Duplasses there and Andrew there. And then I went to Texas and I made Baghead with the Duplasses. And then Joe and I right after that made Nights and Weekends. But Nights and Weekends was, we shot half of it, I guess, in the early 2007. And then we shot the second half of it a year later. But in between that, that was sort of... That was the extent of it. And then I guess I did Ty West's movie. I think really what it was, though, was when Hannah started being on the f started going on the festival circuit, that group, all those people I just mentioned, we really formed a community. And I think that was that was the thing that was the most important thing was that we were really looking out for each other in a deep way and we're really interested in each other and I think the thing is about being a young artist who doesn't have any invitation to the party is that it can be really lonely and to have a group that's looking out for you and responding to your work and criticizing it or arguing over it or validating it that's the thing that I don't think I could have kept going without that mm -hmm. and and that really sprung up around festivals and this is I mean, I'm so proud of this. I mean, I'm so proud of him. <laughs> I love his movie so much. But like Barry Jenkins, yeah. me, and Aaron Katz spent a very random week in Argentina together <laughs> because we had this thing where we would go to any festival that would fly us yeah, right, there right. and feed us <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because we were so broke. And then, yeah. and then we were like, let's go to Argentina. <laughs> in Argentina for like this is just odd week but it was like wonderful but I mean having that sense of we're all in this together was the thing that was most valuable 
So those films that you made in that six-month period, which you mentioned, mm-hmm. Hannah, Baghead, Nights and Weekends, they, in a way, made you the poster girl of that movement, right. but they weren't making anyone rich, right? You guys no, were. No, no, what no. was going I mean, at the same time that you were becoming well-known in the film community for doing these, what was going on in mm-hmm. your life? Well, I was getting rejected from graduate school for playwriting, which is what I wanted to do. But I kind of like, uh, at a certain point, I like let that boat sail. It felt like it wasn't happening. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to break down that door. So I I stopped trying. And I was working as a tutor. I was a, that's how I made money. And living? I was living on an arrow bed in a shared bedroom in Brooklyn, which was just, if you keep your overhead very low, things are easier so I just didn't have a bed for a couple of years but it, the aero bed was fine yeah <laughs> and it, it, it all felt very exciting though it didn't feel like it was leading nowhere it felt like it was leading somewhere now obviously you had a commitment to doing projects that you felt a personal connection to passionate about at the same time you have to think for, towards the future at that point so sure. what were some of the things that you were simultaneously auditioning for Oh, I was auditioning for everything. I, I would have done anything. I, I mean, th- the truth is, I think if somebody had given me another out, I probably would have taken it. I, I was Another career? Well, not another career, but like if I had been a series regular on some show that I don't think anyone would think I would want to be on, I would have been like, yes, yes, definitely. Sign <laughs> me up for that show. Please, let's And you do did this. audition for Everything. Gossip Girl. I auditioned for Gossip Girl. I auditioned for all the Law and Orders. I auditioned <laughs> for every television show. I can, every pilot, everything. I was there's nothing all- against those shows, but it's just funny to think because you're oh, no, no, no. so totally. associated with like an indie my, you know, yeah. worldview. It's just as funny that it could have gone off the rails in a very different way. Well, that's just because I failed at being in the mainstream. <laughs> it's not because I'm so righteous right, in right, my right. indiness. It's because they didn't want me or they didn't know what to do with me. Did you get feedback about why that was? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't dress right. I didn't. I, you know, it's a really it's a real full time job to to. Especially for television, you have to show up full hair and makeup in your tight outfit <laughs> and and you have to be really good. And I just wasn't good at that part of it. And I, I didn't understand a lot of the writing. I couldn't sell it. I, I thought I I was a bit awkward in it. I, I got feedback. Someone said like it sounded like I was making fun of the material. <laughs> and I said, no one is more serious about this material <laughs> than me. I'm not making fun of it. So the thing that came along that kind of allowed you to continue in this mm-hmm. direction was Noah Baumbach? Yeah, Greenberg, definitely. I read Greenberg, and I was auditioning all the time, and I was like, oh, this girl is not me, but I know exactly how to play it, and I have to play it. For anyone who still has to go back and see that, can you just explain... I mean, the title character was not the most lovable guy. Who were you playing and why were you affectionate for this person who was affectionate for a person that's so hard to Mm. care about? Well... Not care about, but to like. Yeah, so Greenberg, Roger Greenberg, was played by Ben Stiller, and my character, Florence Marr, was the personal assistant to Roger Greenberg's brother's family which is a pretty L.A. job, <laughs> like being a personal assistant, doing the errands and taking the dog and the dry cleaning and doing all this stuff. And 
you know, it's I, I it's hard for me to say exactly. I just there's so few movie scripts that are well written. I mean, I can count on my hands how many I've read that are well written. <laughs> and Noah is a great writer. He uses language really well. Most movie scripts, even ones that end up being good, look like a bunch of junk on the page <laughs> and they sound like a bunch of junk. I mean like I mean the Coen brothers write great scripts. The, but they're great writers. Wes Anderson writes great scripts. You know, Mike Mills writes great scripts. Mm -hmm. Noah writes great scripts. You know, there Rebecca Miller writes great scripts, but like th there's it's not that many. Like most of them and that was one of the first ones that I read that I was like, "Oh, this is great writing." And I love it. How did he know about you to even send it to you? He'd seen some of the little movies I'd done. And I think in some ways it was more it through my agent, like he sent the script. And I think in some ways having me read was more curiosity than anything else in terms of Do you remember that first interaction? What was it? It was oh an my audition? God, yeah. yeah, it was I I auditioned, yeah. So you show up? I showed up, I dressed as the character, how I thought the character should dress, and I read a, the whole script. And honestly, I think he had this, I think there was a fear with me as an actor when I was starting out that like, maybe I didn't really know what I was doing. Like maybe I didn't have any technique or that I was just kind of like a girl that they found in the street, <laughs> that I didn't have any ability to recreate, like reproduce it again and again, like you do on a movie. And I think part of, and I went through, then I auditioned two more times, three more times after that. I auditioned in front of Scott Rudin, and then I auditioned with Ben Stiller in front of Francine Maisler, and then I auditioned one other time. And I think they really wanted to make sure that I could, that I could act, that I was an actor. And that I wasn't just that some Noah kid. was your, your advocate there, you felt? No, I think there <laughs> were definitely, <laughs> I think there were times when he was like, meh. Maybe not. I don't know. Not. I think it was always like. I think he always thought it was good, but right. I. I think he definitely. I was one of a group of people being considered. Mm -hmm. So you get the part. You're yeah. very happy about that, and now you really poured your heart into that one. I remember yeah. talking to you about some of the preparation that involved yeah. physical stuff yeah, and written yeah, stuff, yeah. and maybe just to contextualize sort of how you approach things. Can you just share? We'll, we'll go on to the other movies afterwards, but since this was the one that for a lot of people put you on a larger yeah. map, what went into that performance? I gave it pretty much everything I could give it. I, I mean, I, I, God, I, I studied that script like it was a Bible. I spent time working in L.A. as a personal assistant. I gained 15 to 20 pounds. I got really sad. I sung at bars. I... Just try. I. It sounds silly. I really tried to become this person as much as I could, and I don't know. That's still sort of how I work. Mm -hmm. I don't. Immersive. I don't know any other way to do it. In a way, like I'm always so impressed by actors who have the ability to just do it and drop it. <laughs> it's incredible. Or like to know where the light is and the camera is and get the performance in the thing. And I feel like I just try to hypnotize ties myself as much as I can into the head space of this person and then hope that the camera gets it. So when that movie was done, yeah. you see it for the first time. The opening sequence is yeah. pretty memorable. It's you yeah. in an unusual opening. And the movie comes out, great reception. 
A.O. Scott, New York Times critic, I remember said you were something like the actress of a generation. I know that made you very cringe when I quoted it back to you, but it's a, I mean, it basically did in a sense elevate you from being, if anyone had just said like, oh, this is Miss Mumblecore. Now yeah, you were yeah. beyond that, right? Yeah. It changed For sure. other opportunities after that right yeah. away. Yeah. I mean, once it came out, it changed after I had made it before it came out. I didn't work for the whole time. Because you, you couldn't get work or you chose not I to work? I couldn't get work. Couldn't get work. Nobody knew I'd made the movie. I was back to like auditioning for Law & Order. Like I didn't, it was like it never happened. Right. And it, But that yeah, after the movie came out, I I, I got work. I remember, I'm always like fascinated by the stories of, I mean it happens to actors all the time, but like, but like the stories of like, you know, it's like Dustin Hoffman after he'd made The Graduate, but before it came out. Yeah, yeah. That waiting period. De Niro was collecting unemployment, I think, yeah. after Godfather 2 or whatever. Right. Or like, you know, I, th- I think there are, you know, there are a million stories like that. And I had no money. I remember I, I put myself in L.A. when Greenberg came out because I was like, you got to get a job. Yeah. You got to take this moment and get a job from it because you're dead broke. And I was living in a motel in Burbank and... No, I was before I had the motel in Burbank. I had been flown out there to, for the premiere mm-hmm. or something, and my hotel was like up that night, and I was driving by the you know the Los Feliz three that has the mm-hmm. anyway my face like was on one side of the Los Feliz <laughs> three and I didn't have anywhere to stay that night, <sighs> and I, I and luckily my my parents friends were in town and I stayed on their couch that night and then I found this place in Burbank and then I was auditioning for. Arthur and No Strings Attached, and I don't care if people don't like those movies. Those movies saved my fucking life because you now had some. <laughs> because I had to a job, yeah. I had a job, yeah. and I felt great. Right. I was like, "Thank God!" Like I, I had to translate this moment into something wow. because I was, like, it was just you know dire. I was down to nothing. Yeah. And as I, the movies in theaters. Oh yeah, yeah. I was. It was like one of those things where I like I didn't even have enough on my debit card to rent a car because you have to have enough yeah, that they take it was oh man in your own life your what are your family and friends make of that of you in that moment what are you going out on the street i'm sure some people are recognizing you it must be yeah. so surreal where it's like you've made it but you haven't made it yeah i mean well i mean they were my family and friends were hugely proud and like to be fair like i i, I come from a very loving wonderful background and like I it's not like I had nowhere to go Mm -hmm. I could always go home like always but I think it's so much more stop and start on the inside than it looks like on the outside everything on the outside looks somewhat inevitable (laughs) and like oh well that was just smooth sailing all the way to the top (laughs) and then like being inside of it you you know I mean I just listened to Francis Ford Coppola talking to Terry Gross and he was saying like when he was prepping the godfather he was like I had two kids I had another kid that was just born I was dead broken I'm like <laughs> fighting with the studio to like cast people that I don't I don't even know that they're gonna show up and do it good you know but like it just seems so inevitable like yes of course Francis Ford Coppola was gonna make right. you know what he did and I'm not comparing myself to Francis no, Ford but to Coppola but there is something to like it feels like a big old mess when you're going through it. It's only in retrospect that it seems to make any sense at all. So in the midst of these movies that you 
reference that maybe weren't as successful as you would have hoped, but were still important nonetheless. Arthur and No Strings yeah. Attached, and some of these where you're dipping your toe in the mainstream, I yeah. guess you could say, yeah. seeing how it felt. I mean, how yeah. did it feel? Great. Yeah, in the moment. Aside from the... I loved making yeah. <laughs> those movies. It's I, I really did. I, I Russell Brand was great. Helen Mirren was great. And Arthur... I you know I I've always felt very uncomfortable being the the love object in a movie mm-hmm. so that was a source of discomfort but I loved doing it I yeah, loved it being fun. around them and then No Strings Attached was where I met Natalie yeah. Portman who I'm still good friends with and Liz Merriweather wrote it who I'm still good friends with yeah. and I got to be the kind of like best friend which <laughs> I feel very comfortable <laughs> <laughs> and then where along the line or how did it work with with Noah did you guys just did you fall out of touch for any period before Francis Ha or did you decide like how did it come about that you're gonna now collaborate again well we we didn't really talk while he was editing we talked at the when the movie premiered and then he said he had an idea to make a film in New York he had he kind of it, it was almost like he had more of the idea of the way he wanted to make it than what he wanted to make and he wanted to do it completely under the radar not announce it anywhere, not have to start up and design it so he could shoot as many days as he wanted to. And did I want to be in it? And did I have any ideas? <laughs> and I had been, because I'd been acting so much, I hadn't been writing as much, but I'd always been writing kind of on my own. And I had a bunch of ideas of little snippets, which is sort of how I start. That's always how I work. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I would do that. Like, I would do that with you, and here are a bunch of ideas. And, and sat together and turned it into a script, or how does that work? No, well, then he, he read them, and they were they were things like, it wasn't even character ideas. It was like trying to figure out whether or not you pay the surcharge at the ATM, or making friends on a message board by proposing to be someone you're actually not, right. or like things that didn't even end up in the movie, but like little things. And then so he saw them and he was like, I think there's a movie there. I think we should like keep pressing on it. And then I started writing scenes and then he started writing scenes and we were in different cities. And so we would just send them back and forth to each other. And then he'd edit my work and I'd edit his. And at a certain point we had a lot of material. And we just, you know, honestly, we started, we'd talk about it a lot. We'd read it out loud together. And we started pounding it into shape. And it took about a year, I guess, to write that screenplay. This is Francis Ha that we're this talking about. This is Francis about. Ha. Yep. And then we shot for probably a total of 50 days, wow. which is a long time. Yeah. For a, what was the budget on this? Like nothing. $400,000. And just to remind people, black and white elements of each of your own lives right i think or more, mostly yours yeah no both of our lives yeah. yeah yeah and i guess there were a lot of i remember at the time there were a lot of i don't think one thing could be written about francis Ha that didn't reference girls right because you guys so both funny. had adam driver yeah that's girls right. was just hitting the the scene as well but and it's it so was funny new because, york because now nobody talks about that about girls well, not in reference to Francis. Yeah. Like nobody brings it up anymore. And then yeah. when we made Mistress, nobody brought it up. Like, it's just funny how like it's like of the moment, but like it doesn't endure or whatever. Well, yeah. it just it was like the clear comparison of the moment. 
but you're the first person to bring it up for like three years. I apologize. No, I, I don't care. It's just it's just funny because it's like I remember being like, ah, why can't I just be evaluated right, on, on its own, own merits? Yeah. Adam then, Driver, then, I think, was the probably the main yeah. reason, right? Because but you guys had him before girls had him. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. I yeah. mean, like the truth is, but then you just like go through that. You just go through that wave of whatever that moment yeah. of wanting to t- just like I feel like now the one benefit of going through it a number of times is it's like you just kind of live through whatever the moment is right, right. and then you look back and you're like but that's not how anyone remembers the work right no well people love that one though pretty quickly I think and yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah already got criterion which is quite a quite a nice thing uh, criterion. so one question that I, I hope I can ask is yeah when along the line was it during or after Francis Ha that you guys became a couple? Because I just wonder when you go and watch that movie, yeah. just wonder, try to think about it, you know, does does it, I wonder if it shaped the movie at all. Yeah, I think it does shape the movie. Yeah, it was during shooting it. And it wasn't during writing, it was during shooting it. And yeah, yeah it definitely, it didn't change what we were shooting, but I'm sure it probably lit me better. that's great so and and in that case you had already worked with him as just by being directed with him but by writing with him and now being directed by him as well did you find anything different about you know Mm. anything about him that that you thought differently no I think we always sort of had the same whenever we've collaborated together like writing and I've acted for him we always see the movie the same I don't know any other way to say it, but we, we're just always making the same movie. It's like when songwriters write together, they're just writing the same song. They never really discussed what the song was before. They just know what it was. And so like with casting, which I'd be very involved in, or costume design or set, you know, like when we're picking props and looking at a shot, it would just, some things would just feel like, yeah, that's our movie. And other things would be like, that's that's not our movie. Like, it, And it's such a hard thing to define, but it's not like we'd ever get into arguments about it because it just it just would be self-evident to us anyway is it correct though i kind of remember that you had said at one time i think by your suggestion you almost were not going to be in the movie yeah yeah that's true well i don't write with actors in mind myself included so there's always a moment of feeling like i maybe i don't maybe i don't want to do this because I don't, I, because I really don't write it for myself or for my strengths. I figure out how to do it once Noah's like, you're going to do the movie. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. The year after that came out, mm-hmm. so in 2014, yeah. I believe you did something that I just remember getting whatever it is, the email alert or whatever, where it says there was mm. casting. And not in any way, you know, you can do whatever you want, but it just seemed to me, I was so surprised mm-hmm. when I read that you were going to be doing How I Met Your Dad, which was yeah. going to be this TV series, which just felt not, again, could have been, you know, could be a great thing in the end, but I just think this is like... It didn't exist so, in the end. <laughs> well, that's right. But yeah. I mean, when, I'm th- when yeah. I just was thinking about it, I'm like, yeah. this is like the opposite of what I ever would have imagined you were right. going to do. Why right. did that start even? Well, you know, I made Francis Ha, and I think we'd shot Mistress America, but it wasn't done yet. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get hired. By anyone else. Basically not. I mean, I did the humbling with Barry Levinson. I couldn't get arrested. That's so crazy. I had a theory for a while that because Francis was in black and white, everyone thought I was dead. (laughs) 
and that they were like, remember when movies used to be able to star people with faces like Greta, like Greta Gerwig? Gerwig. <laughs> Too bad she's dead. We'll never cast her. I couldn't. I was sitting at home, literally ripping my hair out. I was depressed. I w- couldn't figure out how to get hired. I felt like I I made this thing that I was so proud of. I was like, that is the closest thing that's out there. That's that's me. It's my writing. It's my. It's like my aesthetic. It's what I I. And I felt like people responded, and I felt so gratified. Like the the thing you always hope to feel. Yeah. It's like I make a thing, and people respond to it. What a great feeling! And I could not get hired. Could not get hired. So and crazy. I and I. I didn't know what to do about it. I I didn't know what to do. And I, I was, uh, no one, I went back and before Francis even came out, we had started working on Mistress. So that was sort of before Francis came out and, and we'd done Mistress. And then I started writing what became the movie that I have directed because yeah. I, I was like, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go back and do what I've always done, which is what I've done since high school and college, which is no one will cast me. I will write my own thing because I don't need to be picked to write. And I was just so depressed and I couldn't get a job. And I, to- I talked to my agent and he was like, come out to L.A. We're going to put you in some rooms. He was like, do you want to do TV? I was like, I will do anything. And I met with a bunch of TV executives in Los Angeles and, <laughs> and they all basically said what you said, which is like, why? <laughs> and I was like, have you noticed I can't work? And... They were like, well, great. And then actually, I really loved How I Met Your Mother. And I met the two guys who created How I Met Your Mother and then Emily Spivey, who was going to be working on How I Met Your Dad. And they were so lovely and so smart and so funny. And they said, and they were going to move the show to New York for me. And they were so fun. And I loved, suddenly I had a job. I had somewhere to go. I had people to like make up jokes with. Cause I was like writing with them on the pilot and that I was going to be one of the, the writers and producers. And I was going to have like, they were, I made an agreement that I would get a certain number of scripts each year. So I was like, this will be great. This is a project. This is an outlet. And then I can go make my weird movies when I'm not making this show. But this is, I need, I'm like a German shepherd or a sheep herding dog. You know, like when they don't have sheep to herd, they'll herd kids because they just are going crazy. Right. And that's how I am. And I, I think really, you know, I know, I know it was an odd move in some ways on the outside, but to me, and it's the same way I feel about like No Strings Attached and Arthur. Those guys saved my life. I was really feeling like I just didn't know what I was doing anymore. And I felt like even though the pilot didn't end up going, I really felt like that pulled me out of my own, you know, whatever, narcissistic depression of feeling like, why does nobody want me? And it was like, kid, nobody has to want you. You just got to go keep making things. Was that also just chronologically? I know you had done, I guess it it had to have been after to Rome with love and some of the things where that was before Francis that was before so but my point is just that clearly when you've got the attention and respect of Woody Allen and some of these people mm-hmm. like here you're talking about he was one of your heroes and Witt Stillman who yeah. you did Damsel in the Tr- you had to know like didn't that boost your esteem at all yeah I mean th- you know those those were definitely esteem boosting things <laughs> but that only whatever. gets you so far. Th- yeah. That and five cents. Yeah, right. Buy you some gum. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, you can't. Right. It's hard. 
I, I really feel like that's one of the hard, hard things about acting is that like you're not kept warm at night by the things you used to do. Mm-hmm. You only it's it's a completely it's the one of the art forms that is happening now. What I have mean, you done for me lately? Yeah. Yeah. It's like being a musician that that plays on tour. You got to be playing. You, <laughs> you, otherwise, you're not playing. And I feel like that's. It's always amazing to me that the actors who are good at like waiting for years between things, and I'm like, but aren't you just going stir crazy or starving? Or starving? Yeah. I mean, you either have to be very balanced mentally, and and you also have to have a very large inheritance, <laughs> <laughs> like because I just don't know. And that's why I've always felt like, so I was I did How I Met Your Dad, and then right after, I went and I did a. I did the play in New York, which was great. Mm-hmm. And with a director, I really love Sam gold mm-hmm. and pre just before fun home. Right. Yeah. 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 And what well, he'd done fun home at oh, public the public. Pub, yeah. And he's, I had admired Sam for a long time and we'd met about something years earlier and I'd always wanted to work with him. And it was like, it was like, I finally got to achieve, I got to be in a play in New York. That's what yeah, I always wanted something. to do. It's still what I want to do. I, the, the theater is like the most refreshing lifeblood giving thing. Well, for and me. also at that around that same time, you mentioned the humbling. That was yeah. you and Al Pacino. It's like, and I saw him a lot that year because he was promoting that. He was promoting, I think it's Manglehorn. Yeah, right, um, right, right. A lot of stuff. And every time I'd see him, he would go on and on about. Greta Gertwig and how great it was working with her. And that's so nice to hear. No, I'm telling you. And there was something about being in a. There was a scene where you guys were in a car at the yeah, end of a yeah, driveway yeah, yeah. or something. That's what right. happened? It was. I don't remember exactly. It was I don't just know some weird. He's is. like something you did. Like maybe you you like stayed angry at him in between yeah. cuts mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. That's right. I think I stayed angry at him. I was like, I was really. Um, <laughs> I also dyed my hair dark without telling Barry or Al and just showed up to set like that. And Barry was like, who are you? Right, right. I was like, I'm Greta Gerwig. He's like, what did you do to your hair? And I was like, I just believe that the character has this hair. Right. And he sort of couldn't do anything yeah, right, about right. it. But I, I hadn't, I mean, like when I did the humbling and, and that was a very like, you know, low budget, we didn't make that for very much money, but I hadn't worked in so long. I felt like I had all this pent up, I just I had so much stuff yeah. and I just I, I I they were it was it was very sweet Al was very sweet and I loved working with him and that movie needs to be seen more I like that movie a lot but he's uh, great in it yeah, Al's great in all it. of it but then finally I guess I don't know if it was just a long gestating mm. thing but Mistress America which again was oh, yeah. you and Noah writing and you starring comes out the next year, 2015. Yeah. That was a long gestation. Yeah. I mean, from the time we shot it to the time it came out. Right. And part of that was like, because Noah had shot another movie in between, which had to come out while, which we're, was young. while we're young. Yeah. And then there was this, it just happens yeah. sometimes. But this was, I mean, for somebody who grew up loving old movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. must have been fun, like <laughs> yeah. screwball kind of, of stuff. Yeah. And then 2016, was it the first time that you had been directed by a woman when you did Maggie's Plan with Rebecca Miller? No, I did a movie called The Dish and the Spoon with um, Alison Bagnall, who is a really interesting, good filmmaker. And that I, I had done that movie, and I think there is another movie directed by a woman, mm-hmm. which I will... But you know what the truth is? I think part of the reason I have trouble remembering is because I don't really... 
the gender makes no difference. That's what I, I, I like it doesn't yeah, does it in any way? Mm. Even in this case where it's a movie about motherhood or almost motherhood or whatever, do you think it would have it didn't really matter that it was a woman directing? No. Yeah. No. I mean like I would say maybe they were topics a man might not be as interested in, but actually what it was didn't feel any different. Yeah. So that basically brings us to this fall where you've got two new movies. I also um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Wiener Dog, written and directed by the great Todd Solondz, oh, um, yes. which was really fun. I just, I've always loved his movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, he does um, some, he's done some eccentric he stuff. Is, He's great. He's a great writer, and he's a really unique filmmaker. And I, I was really happy to work with him. Nice. Well, and then there's Jackie, which yes. I guess five years after No Strings Attached, you're back with <laughs> Natalie. This time you're playing a historical figure for the first time. A, a real person, I should you know say. This is Maybe you can just share who, yeah. who this yeah, woman that's is. Yeah, right. I'm playing um, Nancy Tuckerman, who was Jackie Kennedy's personal secretary, both while she was at the White House and then for the rest of her life. And they'd known each other as kids even, right? They knew each other as kids. They they went to preschool together and kindergarten together and then later high school together. They were debutantes together. And she kind of was just dedicated to Jackie. So Pablo Reigns, director, first English language movie, first movie about female protagonist we've got Darren Aronofsky producing and then working very closely with Natalie who's obviously the central title character here what did you make of the experience and just also about Natalie because I think it's definitely one of the best things I've seen her do yeah well I really like Pablo Lorraine I met him actually at Telluride when I was there with Francis and he was there with No right and I thought No was really great. And then I, I watched, I've been watching his stuff. Did you see No out, outside in the park that, where they screened it there? Yeah. That was the yeah. same screening. It was yeah. a great, yeah, it was great. great screening. Yeah. And he's, he's special. I mean, he's a, go- he's a really great filmmaker. But I didn't ever think that I would be in one of his films because it just seemed like How's probably I'm not going to be in a, <laughs> yeah. a movie about you know Chilean politics probably <laughs> I mean it's possible right, but right. Um, but I always really loved his films and then you know I got this this script for this while I was I've got the script for Jackie while I was making 20th Century Women and it was you know it said Pablo Lorraine is directing and Natalie Portman's playing Jackie and, and I thought that sounds great <laughs> and I just I, I mean I, I choose my projects really based on directors more than anything else I don't really ask how big a part is or what the part is. I mean, I, I it's always great when you love the part, but I, th- that's never been like my primary reason. And so I thought it would be exciting, and it was exciting. He he's a Pablo was he told us early to like disregard all the scene numbers. He said any scene could happen at the beginning, middle, or end. Don't treat it like it's it's going to happen in this order. He was just very good at creating an environment that felt both free and rigorous, which is a complicated thing to do. But really, truly, as you said, it's Natalie's movie. So really, I felt like she was the sun and we were orbiting her. Uh, she was our queen. And and it was so it was very easy because you you just wanted to be in service of of Jackie and 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 for me it was a m- doubling of of my my character's 
position and, and my position as a person, which is that I was in awe of, of Natalie and what she was doing. And I think Nancy Tuckerman was in awe of Jackie and what she did. That's interesting. So, and, I, and I'm a little bit in love with Natalie. And so I think Nancy was a little bit in love with Jackie. Yeah. And so I think like it's always nice when those things that are paralleled and I think Pablo said something to, on the phone to me when we talked about it. He was like, I know you're, he didn't know Natalie and I were friends, but, mm. and he was like, but I know you're tall and I think it's really sweet and funny that Jackie has this big friend <laughs> behind her. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm in, let's go. Where, where's, where's my wig? Well, that's great. Let's do it. And then of course, 20th century women, which I love, yeah. which yeah. is Mike Mills, you mentioned. And you're playing one of several women who represent different generations in the in the family extended family of this young guy who's coming of age and the appeal here was the s- script or what were Mike Mills just as a director or what cuz it's basically well, his yeah. own story right yeah i mean i love mike's movies so the appeal was that but but it goes together. I mean, the appeal was him as the director. But then, if you like a director, probably you're gonna like the script. So it goes it goes together. And I got the script, and I loved it. And I loved how loving it was, and how not schematic it was. Nothing fits neatly into a trope that we know. And I I felt just the character that he was having me read it for Abby. I felt very protective of her, and I felt very connected to her. And I felt like. I felt like she was mine, even if I didn't get to play her. And, and she's kind of has a roller coaster existence, right? I mean, she has some yeah. dark stuff, but yeah. she's a light person, right? She well, she's based on his sister, who obviously was raised in Santa Barbara and then moved to New York for art school and lived in New York and then had cervical cancer because her mother took DES, and that's what happened to the daughters mm-hmm. of the women who took DES. And I got to talk to her a lot. The and sister. She, yeah, and she was really, yeah, I mean, it was really invaluable. I mean, I really, I had a lot of time to prepare for Mike's movie, which is always ideal for me. And so I had, I, I was taking photography classes to learn how to use all the old cameras. I was listening to a lot of old records. Mm-hmm. I was researching all these old photography. I mean, he would send me like just, piles of photography books especially about like German photographers in the 70s which I knew nothing about and reading feminist literature from the time but also then rereading with new eyes things like Susan Sontag or like the the art criticism of the time and like I really loaded myself up with research but it was but you know you can tell when you watch Mike's movie so does he like Mm -hmm. that's what he's interested in he's almost He's equally interested in these people and these their psychology as he is in the jewels and the dross of the world of the time that they inhabited. Like, what are the speeches? What are the shoes? Where where were things made? What was the food like? What are the tele? What's the <laughs> telephone like? The objects have emotion for him, so I think it was the right way in as an actor to steep myself in objects and music and the time yeah do you see any thread connecting this character to others that you've played i just just to quote our friend ao scott again Mm -hmm. going back to maggie's plan he'd said quote of of the character in that one quote she's charmingly idiosyncratic to put it another way she's played by greta gerwig (laughs) close quote and in some ways and and not in any way a negative way Mm -hmm. there are a number of characters that you've made kind of 
lovably hipsterish in a way. Is that a fair mm. thing to say? Do you think? Is this woman? No, no? you can't say lovably hipsterish. Why? Do you want to be called a lovable hipster? I don't know. Is no. it, why is it a bad thing? You can say charmingly and idiosyncratic. Char- okay. But I don't want to be a loving hipster. Why? What's bad about being a hipster? I've never felt that I am a hipster. No? <laughs> never. Not even once. I have never been cool enough to be a hipster. <laughs> Not even close. Not even, Not even close. close. All right. Well. But so I, I, because I, when I think of hipster, I think of coming from the tradition of like a James Dean, honestly, or like... The truth is the essence of cool, of being cool, is that you are unaffected. Mm-hmm. That is the thing, is that you are not taken in. And I think hipsters, when I think of hipsters, yeah. you think of people who are like, you know, not going to be super enthused. They didn't go to the prom. They drove by it <laughs> and like laughed at the people who went. Right. And I am fully the girl who goes to the prom. I think people assume that I would be the person who drives by the prom, but I'm the person who really wants to be in How I Met Your Dad. That is also who I am. And so I feel like the hipster thing isn't really So what throws right. people sometimes? Is it the, I mean, in this case, it's the the hair coloring or the music, right, right, right. Stan, you know, whatever it is, sort of dancing right. to yourself or... Right. I mean, I think... I mean, I don't know. Were there hipsters in the 70s? I guess. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Wasn't I there. Know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I will say I can't help but be myself. And No, and it's not. But well, that's what I'm saying. But I don't I, see it but as I a don't, bad thing. But I don't, I don't think I identify as a hipster. All right. That'll be duly noted. The last thing is, what is your sort of assessment of things right now, your state of things? What are you, I know that you're, I think, in the midst of your first solo directorial that's effort. right. Yeah. But, you know, at this point in time, so if we go back and listen to this in the future or if yeah. I, you know, if you happen to stumble upon, what are you what are you proudest of? What do you still hope to do? What's your outlook? Well, I'm I think I'm proudest of the thing. I'm I don't know. I'm, uh, I guess I'm proudest of the fact that I'm still that I've managed to still make things 10 years on. I started making films in 2006. It's 2016. It's a pretty good run, and I feel like I have not settled, which is a nice, which is a nice thing. I and I don't feel like the mountain is behind me, which is also a nice thing. I think I'd like to keep directing and writing and working with people I admire. I, I mean, I suppose much of the same. I would say probably with more a little bit more emphasis on my own projects but I've kind of been moving in that direction for the last five years anyway so it's not like that's any great surprise yeah I think I just would like to be able to keep doing things and keep working because I I, I'm genuinely surprised that I've been able to to do this and it's really all I've ever wanted to do so it's good that it worked out yeah keep it up and thank you so much for doing this I appreciate it thanks Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.